First reading, Psalm 131, and then we'll flip over to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13 will be our second reading, verses 1 to 9. But Psalm 131, a very short psalm. A song of ascents of David. Lord, my heart is not haughty or proud, nor my eyes lofty or arrogant. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Amen. And then Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. It says, There were present at that season some who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came seeking fruit on it and found none. He said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, or one more year, until I dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. And then the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Freak accidents. You know what a freak accident is? Got a few examples the last one of which will be me explaining the context of this sermon today, or this evening, but a freak accident. I looked some up online, I'll share them with you. There was a fisherman, and he, when he caught the fish and reeled it in, it was a very small fish, because it landed in his mouth and made its way down his throat and caused so much damage to his insides that he died by the time he got to the hospital. Lesson, don't fish with your mouth open, right? Second, water toxicity. Have you ever heard of that? Where you're in the heat and you're drinking a ton of water to stay hydrated, you can drink so much water that it throws off the electrolytes in your body. Colt could probably give us a lesson on this. And you die. You basically become overly intoxicated from water. Children, don't try to use that to argue with your mom about drinking a glass of water. Another one is death by carrot juice. There was a man who was so obsessed with health. He drank, uh, I think it was like three liters of carrot juice every day. And his doctor was telling him he's destroying his liver. And he eventually died because the body could no longer process the carrot juice. It was having too much. This one's kind of funny, but also sad because the guy dies. Have you ever seen one of those houses built like into a hill 
where the roof kind of runs up into the hill. There was a house like this in another country, and it was in a, a field where there were cows around it. Well, the barrier that kept the cows from the roof was broken down, and the owner of the house didn't know. In the middle of the night, a cow got on the roof, fell through the roof onto the man while he was sleeping, and he died. Another freak accident happened this past week in the little town of Wagner, not too far from here. This young woman who was a school teacher was uptown during lunch, walking down the street. An 18-wheeler comes through town, has a piece of equipment that is too big on his trailer, pulls down power lines, pulls down a power pole, and the power pole of all places falls on this woman, 31 years old, and she died. Maybe you can name some other freak accidents you've heard of. Jesus mentions one, a freak accident in the context, or it is the context of Jesus's address, at least the second half of it in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Maybe you heard it as I was reading, but children, I just told you about a pole falling on one woman and killing her. Could you imagine a tower large enough to fall on 18 people and kill them? This is probably not necessarily like the Twin Towers falling that happened in New York City or anything like that, but a tower nonetheless. And Jesus wants them to ask a different question than they're asking. They're asking questions like this. What did they do to deserve this? Clearly, if I deserve something like this, it would have happened here rather than there. But Jesus wants them to say, what keeps me or what keeps you from facing a similar fate? Am I more righteous than them, seeing that I have not yet faced such a situation? In our shorter catechism, uh, it goes through the Ten Commandments. And in the Fifth Commandment, there's a, a, a phrase that's attached to it when we say, Honor thy father and thy mother. There's an ending that we don't rehearse every time we say the commandment in the Lord's Supper Sundays, but it, it goes like this, that uh, <clears throat> honor thy father and thy mother that you may live long in the land that the Lord thy God is, is giving you. That, that is the, uh, um, the annexation, the thing which is attached to it. But in, in our catechism, question 66, it explains this, why this phrase is given in the fifth commandment. It says the reason annexed to it is a promise of long life and prosperity as far as it shall serve for God's glory and their own good to all such as keep this commandment. Now, why do I bring this up? Because of that phrase, as far as it shall serve for God's glory and their own good. You cannot be so holy that you never die, is the point. As far as it serves for God's glory and your own good, that is how long you will live and not a moment longer and not a moment shorter. God's patience with you extends that far and no farther. Therefore, to use the answer of the catechism and apply it to uh, the Tower of Siloam, to use it uh, to apply to the woman who was killed nearby by the telephone pole, the time was up. The Lord had seen her to her end. The moment of their death had come. It is a moment that none of us can dodge. George Whitfield was famous for saying that I am immortal until the moment 
of my death that God has appointed. We can dodge freak accidents. Maybe you can remember times this seems to happen to me a good bit, or maybe I'm just a bad driver. No comments, please. Um, it, that something happens on the road that I am just a foot away from something real bad happening. And I could be paying full attention. It just seems that no matter what, when I'm driving, there often occurs these instances. It's a moment that none of us can dodge, though. We can dodge freak accidents in some way, but the moment of our death, we cannot dodge. Have you ever considered the fact that you're always only a moment away from death? These people did not know that the tower was about to fall on them. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been under it. This woman in Wagner did not know that the pole was going to fall on her. Otherwise, she would not have been standing there. A tree could fall on my office while I'm writing a sermon. You could be rear-ended by an 18-wheeler on the way home, and you can do nothing about it. You could choke on a food that you eat all the time and die. The possibilities are endless. You could think of plenty of examples, I'm sure. The tower in Siloam, though, is not the only example that Jesus uses. The first is a vile scene that references Pilate. Evidently the same Pilate that would oversee Jesus' death. What does it say about him? says that he was using Galilean blood in the sacrifices that they were offering. So, children, this is very gross, but what is, what's going on is they would make these blood sacrifices, and the blood that they were using in their sacrifices was from the Galilean people whom they were killing. Not a common thing, but they would do it occasionally. But Jesus says that this is no proof that these people were worse sinners. He literally says, no. But God, in his providence, we need to understand that Jesus says that providence is not quite that simple. You can't just point at a situation and say, that woman died because of this. This man died because of that, because of this sin, because of this righteousness, because of that, because of X, Y, and Z. God carries out judgments, but he does it for various reasons. And if we're going to look at this passage honestly, we have to see that we are all, in some sense, worthy of the judgments of God. But Jesus clears the air and shows that these sinners were no worse than those asking the question, and by implication, they are, in some sense, no worse than you. Much of Jesus' preaching would be delivered to those who would not believe in him. Part of the work, the greater work that he had for his disciples was that these who had only heard Jesus a few times, would see Jesus through his disciples and be brought to faith. But the audience is important to consider because Jesus immediately goes to a parable to explain his meaning. Now, you've noticed that when I speak of uh, us as Christians being as uh, much sinners as those people that uh, had died... Um, that is, of course, true, right? but you, you can't use that to, to kind of bathe over what Jesus teaches in this parable. He immediately goes to a parable to explain his meaning, and he doesn't use a parable like he often does that has direct relation in um, the circumstances. It doesn't seem proper to even say that all sin equally... And bad things don't happen to bad people at times that they really, really deserve, because it does. The point is, the providence of God is not quite so simple. You can't fully know the reason, 
And you're to take from that fact, and that it hasn't happened to you, that the Lord is continuing to extend His mercy and invite you to repentance so that you may not perish. As I've said before, the Bible reiterates over and over again, repentance is not a one-time thing. If you stop repenting, let's say, and live the rest of your long life as if the Lord does not matter, the Bible gives us no reason to think that person will be in glory. No reason. Repentance is the call of the Christian perpetually. Jesus says, if you do not repent, you likewise will perish. If you do not practice repentance, you will likewise perish. So when looking at these scenes of these people, the point is not them. The point is you. Why has God allowed you? Well, that you might continue in repentance. You see, the fig tree is the Lord's vineyard, very obviously. Maybe you thought of John 15 as I was reading that parable. The fig tree is the Lord's vineyard and is very obviously the visible church at the time. Jesus often spoke to the Hebrews when he was talking to them and spoke of them as the fig tree that was not producing fruit. Jesus describes his time as coming to seek fruit from them and finding none. You could even tie it directly to his three years of ministry, where he says, I came to visit this tree for three years, but found nothing. Therefore, this tree was to be cut down and no longer use up the ground. But the one who tended the vineyard pleaded mercy for one more year. Just some patience. Let's try it one more time. And it was granted. The owner of the vineyard grants the request with the reminder that if fruit is not found, if it's not produced over the next year, the tree would indeed be cut down. Now, as I said, in immediate comparison, what does this parable have to do with the passage? The parable serves as the Lord Jesus explaining to them and also explaining to you and me that when things like this happen, we don't choose self-justification. We don't choose to say, well, they deserved it. We should rather wonder, why didn't it happen to me? That's the question. Self-justification is not a good response because nothing like that which happened to the Galileans has never happened to me. Nothing like that which happened to the Siloamites has happened to me. Nothing like happened to the woman in Wagner has happened to me. Friend, if it had, you wouldn't be here even being able to consider the question. The question you need to ask then is, how is my repentance? How is my repentance? And I think Psalm 131 is a good case study. How is my walk with the Lord would be another way you could frame this. Can you say Psalm 131 with a clear conscience? Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes arrogant. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Right? I would argue that that's what the people were doing and looking at the Galileans that way, looking at the, the Siloamites that way. They were looking on it with pride. They were looking on it with haughty eyes, concerning themselves with great matters and things too profound for them. So can you say Psalm 131 with a clear conscience? Again, there's a time as a Christian to think about the context of justification, 
right? Of course, no one perfectly does these things, but that's not the question. The question is a matter of practical holiness, sanctification. Can you say Psalm 131 with a clear conscience, or is it only an aspiration? It should not only be an aspiration, it should be something that the Christian experiences. Because when Christ addresses these people with this parable, he addresses you with this parable. He addresses me. And he says that he comes to visit to see if there's fruit on the tree. But the question is, does he find it? Does he find fruit on the tree? This passage reminds me of Luke 18 as well, where the parable of the persistent widow is pleading with the judge the unjust judge, and he avenges her. He, he gives her what she asked. But then at the, question, at the end of the parable, it says this, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily, speaking of God hearing the prayers of his elect. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he find those who are self-justifying, who say that, you know, I'm not as bad a sinner as them. Why are you doing this to me? Or will he find those who bear fruit, who repent, turning from sin, trusting in Christ again and again, and living for his righteousness? Again, freak accidents happen all the time. But not one person who has had a freak accident happen to them has known it was coming. Not a single one. Jesus says... Don't dwell on the freak accidents, but repent so that you too shall not perish. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank